good day. Today I'm talking with Joanne, and the word that I use is kind of ad hoc fund versus strategic fund. So can you kind of yeah. kind of take us through that? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think, and, and it does segue really neatly because when you're thinking about setting up a fund, it's, it's really important to, if I can use the phrasing, get your ducks in a row so that you're actually thinking about it very strategically instead of trying to do it as you're going along or, you know, sort of on an ad hoc basis as you're developing a product offering out into the market. So typically ad hoc, what it looks like is somebody will come along with an idea that's partially formed and they might not have thought about things like what is the duration that I want this product and who am I going to actually be offering it to. I think I want to do retail, but maybe I also want some wholesale investors in there. Um, And it has an effect on how you actually need to market the product and and what sort of documentation you need to go with it. Um, It's also thinking about things like, um, you know, what's the wind-up strategy or the exit strategy for a vehicle? And that's very different. Um, between different types of investors. Uh, It will influence things like the way that you consider what fees are going to be put in place um, and how you deal with influences on a product uh, once it's up and running. So, you know, when you're thinking strategically about a fund, um, one of the really critical items is to think about if there is a market correction that could potentially impact this investment vehicle, how do we deal with that? What communications do I need to do to my investors? And it looks very different in the retail investor space than it does to the institutional and wholesale end of the market. Um, The latter typically is well aware of some of those impacts and the influences and what's going on out more broadly, both in domestic and international markets than perhaps the average mum and dad retail investor is. So it's really important the influences that this has in how you end up with a product in the market if you're taking a sort of build-it-as-I-go approach versus a much more strategic front-end consideration around how long am I going to have it there? How am I going to value? What do I do if there's a major macroeconomic event like a global financial crisis that all of a sudden it becomes illiquid? How do I need to communicate? And it sort of also goes a lot to how you deal with the regulatory impost with products. Um, and this subtle sort of, you know, our, our first set of commentary and that second stream around administering products, um, the difference between an ad hoc approach and a strategic approach when I think about administering product, a lot of that's got to do with your regulator engagement and what documentation you need to produce and product disclosure information and the ongoing relationship management with investors is really important to think about critically at the front end before you launch rather than trying to figure it out when you have a major event occurring and, wow, I need to go talk to those investors. And that's really the difference between ad hoc. It's a little bit fly by the seat of your pants rather than when you approach it strategically. It's much more orderly, well-considered, well-structured and a lot closer to having a very resilient product, even in the face of catastrophic, catastrophic events occurring around you out in the marketplace. That, that kind of segues me to the fact that, and we've had conversations with other people, about the licensing and compliance um, 
risk minimization and licensing and compliance stuff and, and, and the fact that these funds um, need to have that license administration. Um, and, yep. of course, that gets you to the make-or-buy decision. Do you go and get your own license or do you use somebody else's license? Can you comment on that for me? Yeah, I can. I think you want to be extraordinarily committed to building a lot of funds over, you know, sort of a three- to five-year timetable to get real value out of having your own license. So you really want to be setting up a whole fundless management house to go out and do your own license. The reason I say that is the license itself is not a particularly expensive exercise going and applying for an Australian financial services license will set you back a few thousand dollars. But in reality, that's the simple part of the process. What goes into it and the reason why, particularly if you're just looking at launching a bespoke fund or maybe two or three funds, there are three factors that really influence this. The first one is time, the second one is cost, and the third one is the ongoing management of a license, and I'll tackle each one of them. In terms of time, at the moment, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission has actually published this information, so it's out there. Um, The average length of time it will take to apply for a new financial services license in Australia at the moment, as we're having this conversation in April 2018, minimum for a managed investment vehicle licensee is 150 business days. Whoa. It's, yeah, which, which okay. is a, you know, not inconsiderable period of time. You know, that's, that's six months right there and yeah. you actually haven't gone to market with anything yet because you're not licensed to. Um, I have certainly heard instances where the actual length of time it's taken people is outward of one year to 18 months depending on the authorizations. And managed investments is a tier one product. It is considered from a regulatory management point of view as a highly complex product, has a lot of risk associated with it. So the regulator, rightly so, will take its time in really considering the bona fides of any applicant for a license in this space. Um, If you're adding things to it, for instance, foreign exchange or derivatives as part of that product offering, that adds to the level of complexity and the hurdle that you will have to be jumping over to actually get that license granted. So, you know, at the moment on average, you're looking at 150 days can be out to a year and a half. Um, to go with it, you actually have to prepare a huge amount of application documentation, everything from valuation policies to how you manage conflicts of interest to having appropriately skilled and experienced people to be responsible managers on the licence. Uh, you need risk management frameworks, compliance frameworks. It's just huge, the volume of documentation that needs to go in. Uh, and it all takes time to actually prepare that, and that is regulatory documentation that's taking away from building your product to take to market. Secondly is cost. So the licensing itself is not the expensive component. It's what actually needs to be done for a license. So you need things like uh, there is a, a minimum capital adequacy requirement. Now, for managed fund providers, the minimum amount of capital that you need to be holding typically is $150,000. The more funds under management you have, the bigger that number gets, and it caps at $20 million. 
so, you know, that's capital that has to be sitting there, available from a capital adequacy perspective. Uh, you also need to think about things like um, putting in place insurance arrangements uh, yourself if you're going down the licensing path. You need to have professional indemnity insurance, directors and officers of the company, um, electronic crime and fraud protection policies in place as well as compensation arrangements. And if you are doing retail product, you also need to have insurances specifically for the purpose of covering dispute resolution mechanisms as well. Um, so that's in the event that somebody behaves in an improper fashion, you need to be able to compensate investors uh, if, if they're adversely affected by poor practice within the organisation. Uh, and, you know, it's an additional level of insurance. You also need to do things like, you know, money laundering, counterterrorism, financing policy and registrations. You need to have, with retail clients, membership of an external dispute resolution body. Um, you know, all of those things come with a cost attached to them, as well as additional documentation that needs to be prepared for them. So it's not an inexpensive activity by the time you add on all the insurance costs, putting Joanne, directors I, I, in I th place. I think, if I think you've scared me off. If I'm going to do this for a one-off investment <laughs> fund, it doesn't make any yep. sense. I'm going to have to build a highway infrastructure, and all I want to do is ride my bike from point A to point B. Yeah, well, I suppose that from an investment manager's point of view, one of the issues with this is that it can be very distracting from your product. You know, if if I have a really fabulous idea about a fractional property managed investment vehicle to take out into the marketplace, do I then want to be sitting there dealing with the regulatory hurdles that I need to get through uh, over, you know, potentially out to a year and a half to get a license to be able to do that? Or do I just want to launch my product? And, you know, there are providers out in the marketplace. Global Mercedes is certainly one. There are others as well whose, you know, license you can effectively rent to be able to launch your product. So if you want to be focused on your product and taking that to market and, you know, building a business as an investment manager, maybe you don't want to get a license. Maybe it is simpler and easier and more cost efficient to use somebody else's um, because what they actually deliver for you is the entire back office. So everything from custody to registry services, dealing with all the regulatory side of things and, and taking care of all of that end of activity, which lets investment managers just focus on product and their client and their investor and doing what they are best at really brilliantly without worrying about all of that regulatory impost that sits behind it in the background. Somebody else can worry about that. You pay a fee for it. Yeah. But I suppose I think the great equation is where do I add as an investment manager best bang for the buck? And that's managing my portfolio, not necessarily worrying about dealing with all the regulatory structure that sits behind it and all of the administrative activities. Joanne, you, you, you've really given me a, a lot to think about here. If somebody wants to follow up, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, all my contact details are on our website and alternatively, they can also reach out to Adam Baker at Global Mercedes. Again, all of his contact details are on our website. Um, we're always happy to talk to people about their prospective product. Um, we do a lot of work with currency, media, property and infrastructure. We love alternatives and we're always really excited about great ideas that people have 
in terms of potential new funds coming into the market to challenge the bigger end of town and the conventional wisdom over managed investments. So always happy to talk to people about their great ideas as far as funds are concerned. Great, Joanne. Thank you for your time and uh, look forward to catching, with you, catching up with you again in the future. Fabulous. Thanks, Monty.